of you weren't here last night, so I'm just going to do a very brief overview of what we've done last night because it's going to help you understand what we're doing today. So last night we talked about the reason for our existence. A car exists in order to move you from point A to point B. You know, if a car looks nice and it smells nice and the seats are really nice but doesn't move, that's a useless car. And likewise, we can do many things in life and we can be good at many things in life, but if we're not good at the main thing in life, we're kind of missing out. So my question last night was, what is the reason for your existence? So we looked into the Bible and we found out that the reason that we exist is none other than to bear fruit. In other words, that means to reflect the character of Jesus in our lives. So let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament, right after Acts. Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. Now it says here, But now, having been set free from sin, you have your fruit to holiness. I'm sorry. And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end, everlasting life. Now Paul is speaking about three stages here. Okay. Let me ask you a question. As Christians... Are you saved, or are you being saved, or will you be saved? saved. Who thinks saved? Who thinks being saved? Who thinks will be saved? Who thinks yes? <laughs> now, if you look in Ephesians, the Bible says, by faith, we have been saved. Past tense. But 1 Corinthians, it says that we are being saved, present tense. Matthew chapter 24 says, if you persist and if you endure, you will be saved. So the Bible doesn't say that you are just saved, or that you're just being saved, or that you will be saved. The Bible says, yes. Last night I talked about the birth of my daughter, and it was the most beautiful, it was one of the most beautiful moments of my life. That was the beginning of her life, and that's an important point of her life. However, it would be a, a mistake for me to just focus on the beginning point of her life and just, just, just remember that time and just ignore her throughout her, throughout her growth as she's, as she's going to school, as she's growing up as, as a human being, as she's growing up as a Christian, as she, she's growing up. It would be a problem, it would be a mistake for me to avoid the growing process. Right. So having become saved, we call that justification. And having... And knowing that we will be saved one day when we go to heaven, we are living in a stage right now where we are being saved. So yes, it's good to remember the past, the beginning point of my salvation. Yes, it's good to look forward to the future when Jesus will come and we will be saved. But we're living right now in the time where we are being saved right now. And that's what Paul says here. Let's look at the passage again. Romans 6, 22. But now having been set free from sin. That's the past tense. That's the point when you first accepted Jesus Christ and became a Christian. And received salvation. And having become slaves of God. Past tense again. You have, present tense, your fruit to holiness. So now having been saved, past tense. Now, as we are being saved as a Christian, the focus of our life is not necessarily the past or the future. The focus right now for us is now, where we are bearing fruit for Christ. In other words, are we reflecting the character of Jesus Christ in our life? 
Now, if you think about the first deception, what... When Satan came into this earth to mess up humanity, the first thing that he did was, was, was to, to, to talk with Eve, and he was talking about the character of God. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 2. We'll start from verse 4 for the sake of time. Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, that is Eve, You will not surely die. That's the first deception ever. He says, you will not surely die. How do we know that that's a deception? Because in the previous chapter, God told Adam and Eve, there's a tree in the middle of the garden. If you eat from the fruit of that tree, guess what's going to happen? He says, you are going to die. What Satan is doing here, he's saying to Eve, God is a liar. His character cannot be trusted. He says in the following verse, verse 6, verse Five. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is what the devil is saying. Guess what? God is something really good that he's keeping to himself. And he knows that if you eat that fruit, you are going to be able to have access to that good thing. And God's like, oh, I just want it for myself. What Satan is doing, he's talking about the character of God. And that's how the world started getting messed up. By believing that God's character was not loving, by believing that God's character was not trustworthy, human beings started getting messed up. And all the problems that we see around us originated from the fact that human beings started believing in a false description of the character of God. So God says, okay, what I'm going to do with human beings is that I will use human beings to reflect my character, to show what I am really like. We have a lot of parents here, we have a lot of mothers here. And when you're raising kids, do they do what you tell them to do, or do they usually do what they see you actually do? I mean, they do both. They really do. But if you were to weigh between the two, what would be more important? What they see you doing, or what they hear from you? I think the way would be in what they see you do. You can say one thing, you can say, be really nice to your friends, be, be nice to your, your brother, your sister, but if you're not a nice person, the chances are your child is not going to end up being a nice person. So God can proclaim the truth about his character all he wants with the word, but if we, are, as, if we as humans are not able to see what the character of God is like, it's very difficult to accept the fact that God is a loving God. So what God decides to do is, he says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect replica of my character, and I'm going to actually show you what I'm like, rather than just telling you what I'm like. And right now, as Jesus Christ is no longer with us physically, he says, I'm going to use you to recover my reputation. My reputation is messed up, and I'm going to use you to show that I am a loving God. Now let's go back to the Genesis story. How are human beings messed up? By believing in a false description of the character of God. And God says, you know what? I'm going to show you the actual truth. I want to show you that I am love. I want to show you that I'm a trustworthy God. And in order to do that, I want to use my children. 
I want my children to reflect my character that as people see Pastor Enoch, as pastors, as people see Will, as pastors see Amy, and so on and so forth, they see their character like, Jesus must be a really loving God. God must be a really trustworthy God. And therefore, last night we learned that the purpose of our life at this point is to reflect the character of Christ. We also talked about investment. Jesus says, don't invest in things that will be gone. The things that you're wearing, the things that you buy, the house that you live in, the car that you drive, one day it's all going to be gone. Everything that you see around you is going to be gone, but there is one thing that lasts forever. The one thing that we take with us in heaven, actually there's two, one is our character. The other thing that we take to heaven with us is the people that go with us. <coughs> And Jesus is looking at us and he's baffled by the fact that we're focusing our lives on things that are going to be gone rather than focusing on, on our life that can last for eternity. And God says, focus, invest in the right things. Invest your resources, invest your time, invest your love, invest your, your affections in things that will last forever. And it was our character. So today, um, this morning, and the, this afternoon, we're going to look at how we are going to develop that character, that Christ-like character. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Acts, chapter 17. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, right after Luke, I'm sorry, right after John. Acts chapter 17, and uh, starting from verse 1, Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. Now this is talking about Paul's missionary journey, and it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to what town? Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, in other words, it's, it's saying that this is what Paul usually does. This is what he usually does when he goes into a town. He went into the synagogue, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Okay? So he goes to a town called Thessalonica. He finds a synagogue, which is the church for the Jews. And he's, he's, starting, to teach about, he's, he's starting to teach the Bible and he starts teaching about Jesus. Now verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. That's where Paul was staying. Okay. So there's a group of people who listen to the message of Paul and they're offended by the message. And, 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 and they're, they're not happy about the message. So, so they gather a mob and they go to Jason's house and they're about to beat up Paul. Now, Paul, having heard this, he's not able to stay in Thessalonica anymore. So he goes to another town. Let's go to verse 10. It says here, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. That's what he typically does in order to, to, to reach people and share about Jesus. He goes to a synagogue on a Sabbath. And verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. 
So what Paul is doing in Thessalonica and what he is doing in Berea, is it the same thing or does he use a different method? It's the same method. However, is the reaction the same or is it very different? It's very different. Let's go to verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. The Thessalonians hated the message of Paul so much so, when they heard that Paul was doing really good in Berea, they traveled two days, 50 miles. They're willing to travel 50 miles on foot and go all the way to Berea to stop what Paul is doing. The method of Paul is the same. He goes into the synagogue, he, he teaches from the scripture, he teaches about Jesus. But on the one hand, you have a people that's willing to accept what Paul is saying, but on the other hand, there's a group of people that not only is not willing to accept, they're so offended, they're willing to travel 50 miles to stop what Paul is doing. So my question is, what, create that, what creates that difference? Why is it that in one group, there's a hearty reception, but on the other group, they're so offended and they're willing to oppose and beat up Paul, traveling 50 miles? We can find out in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to spend most of our time today in Matthew chapter 13. So let's go to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13. Am I making sense so far? If yes, nod your head, please. Yes? Okay, good. If not, raise your hand and ask me a question. Really, I'm very serious about that. If you don't understand something, if you want to know more, um, I'm willing to, to, to receive questions. So Matthew chapter 13, and starting from verse 3. Matthew 13 and verse 3. It says, Then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying... Behold, a sower or a farmer went out to sow or plant seeds. Now, if you look in Mark, it, it, it repeats the, the very same parable. And we find out that this is the most important parable that Jesus taught. Why so? Because after Jesus taught this parable, the disciples come to Jesus and, and they ask him to explain this parable. And this is what Jesus says to them. If you don't understand this parable, you're not able to understand any other parables. So this is a fundamental parable which teaches you or, or helps you understand every other parable. Okay. So this is the fundamental one. So what's that parable about? Verse 4. And as the farmer sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Verse 5, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. So Jesus is talking about four types of grounds here. Okay? Four types of ground. The first type of ground is the wayside. And we'll use this as a symbol for the wayside. It's, 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 it's hard, it's sturdy, and the seed can't go through. This is the what? This is the wayside. Now the second type of ground is the rocky soil. And we'll use this as a rocky soil, and these are rocks, okay? Now, the seed starts going in, and when it meets a rock, when the root meets a rock, it's not able to go any deeper. This is the what kind of soil? This is the rocky soil. The third type of soil is the thorny soil. We'll use this as a thorn. 
I know this is supposed to mean fruits, but uh, we'll just use this as, uh, as, a, as forms. So the root, of, so the plant starts growing, but it cannot continue to grow because of the thorns that is thwarting its growth. So this is the what kind of ground? This is the thorny ground. Finally, you have the good ground where you're able to plant the seed and the plant grows and it bears much fruit. The first ground is the what? The wayside. The second ground is the what? The rocky soil. The third ground is the? Thorny ground. And the last ground is what? It's the good soil. Okay, so let's look at what these actually mean. And we don't have to imagine what they mean because Jesus explained it for us. Let's go to verse 19. Starting from verse 18. Jesus starts explaining. Matthew 13, verse 18. Jesus says here, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the what of the kingdom? Word of the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his what? In his heart. Okay, so we don't have to imagine what those symbols mean. Okay. The seed means the what of God? The word of God. Jesus says if somebody hears the word of God, right? So the seed symbolizes the word of God. What do the grounds represent? The heart. Because it says the devil comes and snatches it away from the heart. Okay, so let's start with the wayside. What does the wayside represent? <coughs> now the seed was thrown. Okay. The, the, the farmer comes, he has a lot of seed, and he's throwing seeds, and some, some seeds fall on the wayside, and because the wayside is hard, the seed is not able to penetrate through at all. If you, if you throw seed on cement, it's not going to be able to go through. So the word is, is, is coming on upon somebody's ear, but it goes into one ear and it comes out of the other ear. So after after the service today, somebody asks you, "What have you heard today?" You were sitting here thirty minutes, forty minutes, but you can't recall anything that was that that you've heard today because it comes into one ear and it comes out of the other, and the word has done nothing to your heart. Because it has not gone into your heart. The heart of the wayside is the heart that does not care. It's the heart, it's the heart that does not pay attention. It's the heart that is sitting and, and, and hearing, but not willing to truly listen. You're hearing the sounds, but you're not hearing the message. That's the heart of the wayside. That's why it's so important for us as we, as we come to church, as we, as we go to our desk in the morning to, to have our morning, de morning devotions, that's why it's so important to start with prayer for yourself, asking that, 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 that the Lord will, will give you a willingness to listen to the message. It's not something that we can come up with ourselves and we have to be willing to pray and ask God, God, my heart is hard. I have a stubborn heart. My, he my heart really doesn't care, Lord. But I want to care. And I'm asking you, would you just give me a willingness to listen? That the word can penetrate through my hard heart. Would you just break up the soil for me, Lord? And let the word come into my heart to begin with. Now the second type of soil was the, what kind of soil? Was the rocky soil. So let's go to verse 20. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 20. Here it says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So this must be good ground, yes or no? It's better, yeah. If you're reading this verse 20, it seems like a very good ground. 
It's the person that, that's listening to a sermon and they're like, oh, I love this message. But, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately, what does he do? He stumbles. Okay, so when you're imagining a rocky soil, you would probably think of a soil that has rocks on top. But that's not actually what this is talking about. Now, if you go to Israel, if you plant a seed, the seed goes through, but there's a, a layer of rock under the ground, which can't be seen from the top. And because there's this, this limestone, that this slab of rock that's under the ground, the, 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 the root starts going down, but it can't go any deeper. And because the root can't go deep, it's not able to suck enough water, and when the sun starts shining and, 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 and the scorching, heat is just, just hitting that plant, it's not able to grow any further because it's not able to pull any water. So what kind of ground is this? You're, you're, you're sitting in the pew. You, you like whoever is the presenter or so on and so forth, or you like the message, you enjoy the message. But you have not counted the cost. In other words, you have not thought of the sacrifices that you have to make. What do I mean by that? Let's go to Luke chapter 14, I believe it is. Keep your bookmarks in Mark chapter 13. Now let's go to Luke chapter 14. Luke is two books after Matthew. Luke chapter 14, yep. And we'll start from verse 28. Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. It says here, For which of you, intending to build a tower, will we'll, we'll, we'll switch that with a house? Okay? So you're, you're planning, you're, your family, you're, you're wanting to, to expand your home, and you have this beautiful house in mind. Okay, so intending to build that house, who does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. So this is what's happening. So I move here, uh, and I'm living in Glendale, and I used to live in Barrier Springs where houses are dirt cheap. Right? And I'm thinking that the cost would be about the same. Okay, so I, I buy some material, I have some land, and I'm, I'm starting to build. And uh, I'm building up, I'm, I'm halfway there, and I go to my bank account just to find out that I have nothing left. And people are passing by this house, a, a month passed by, two months passed by, a year passes by, and there's no progress on this home. Because why? You haven't done what? You haven't counted the cost. You were happy thinking about that, that house, how beautiful it would be. But what you haven't done is you haven't counted the cost. And what is the cost then? Let's skip a few verses and let's go to verse 33. Luke 14, verse 33, it says, So likewise, as, as Jesus is concluding his illustration, this is what he says. In conclusion, so likewise, whoever of you does not do what? Forsake how much? Most of your things. No, no, no. He says, does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what is the cost that you need to put into to, final, to, to finalize the house? He says, you have to give everything that you have. 
You can't split up your possession and say, I'm going to put in 50% for my home, 30% for my, for, my, for my children's education, 20% for my car, and so on and so forth. He says, in order to finish that house, he says, you have to give all. You have to count the cost and realize that there is a sacrifice that needs to be made. Now, this sounds quite harsh. But let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Same book, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. You know, I said this last time I was here. Um, this is kind of unrelated to what I'm preaching about, but... There's something that I really love about this church and love how Pastor Enoch and Pastor Tim has trained this church. Um, children in this church are very good at, at, at looking at scriptures. When I go to other churches, there's not many children who do that. So I really applaud this church for doing that. You know, I'm seeing children sitting up here and the youth sitting up here and they're looking at the scriptures. And, and I really just commend this church for, for, for training the, the, the children. It's the, it's the parents. And the parents. The pastors and the parents. Thank you. So Luke chapter 9 verse 22. Jesus says here, Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, in other words, if you want to be my disciples, this is what you have to do. First of all, let him deny himself. Secondly, take up his cross daily. And thirdly, he says, follow me. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. I think I used this illustration last time I was here. But you can't tell somebody to follow you if you're not doing it yourself. If I want somebody to go to that direction, go to that door, and say, follow me, I can't do that without going there myself first and say, follow me. I can't just tell you to go and say, follow me. That does, it doesn't work like that. When Jesus says... Pick up your cross daily. When Jesus says, deny yourself, or when Jesus says, unless you forsake all that you have, Jesus can't say that without having done it himself. Now, if you look at the word forsake in, in the original Greek, it literally means to say goodbye to. And if you look in the context, it talks about forsaking even your family. Now Jesus is not, is not this cruel God who, who's just sitting in the back and saying, okay, I want you to give up everything that you have. That's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is, he's saying goodbye to the Father. In a sense. When he got up on the cross, he cried out to his Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's very difficult to imagine the feelings that Jesus had on the cross. But I think it's somewhat like this, but a lot more intense. What it's like, it's like seeing your spouse cheating on somebody. It's, it's like looking at that. Looking at the act of your spouse cheating on you. Not that God was doing that, but the fact that, that, that Jesus was so connected with his father... So in love with his father, but to see that the, but to feel that the father is almost forsaking him. Jesus was willing to forsake his father and say goodbye, in order to do what? To save you. Jesus was willing to give up all that he had in heaven, although he did not have to. There really was not much that he was going to gain from it. But he's saying, he's willing to say goodbye and leave behind the things, the, the great things in heaven and say, I'm going to come down and I'm going to leave everything behind. I counted the cost. I looked at the bill. I looked at the check and it says, everything that you have. And Jesus said, okay, I'll take it on. I'll pay everything that I have. It's not that I just love the 
idea of having my children with me. It's not just that I enjoy the message. I'm willing to pay the cost. Amen. And Jesus says, follow me. So the rocky soil is the soil. I'm sorry. Yeah. The rocky soil is the soil that, that enjoys the gospel. They're, 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 they enjoy the blessings that God is willing to give to them. But they don't think about what sacrifices I should make for Jesus. And when God comes to you and says, would you be willing to sacrifice this for me? If it's something that you don't like, you'll say, oh God, I'll happily give it up for you. But if it's something that you like, ah oh God, I think that's too much for me to, to give up for you. Not knowing that what Jesus had to give up for us was far, 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 far greater than what we are giving up And remember one thing. When we give up something for God, we don't lose anything. What do I mean by that? When Abraham was giving up his son Isaac to God, did he lose his son Isaac? When we give up everything for God, we never lose anything. We gain so much more. It's just emptying up your heart so that God can fill your heart with the blessings that, that He's willing to give to you. Amen. So the first heart was the wayside. It's the inattentive heart. And God says, pay attention to me. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus paid attention. He, he says, if, 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 you're, if you have any concerns, He says, come to me. Because I care for you. I'm paying attention to you. I, I pay so much attention to you. So much so that I'm counting the, the numbers of your hair on your head. That's how much I pay attention to you. Secondly, he says, are you willing to sacrifice for me? I sacrifice for you. Would you be willing to follow me? Now, the third type of soil is the what kind of soil? It's a thorny ground. So let's go there. Matthew chapter 13. And I think I have to wrap up pretty soon. I'm sorry. It came longer than I wanted. Matthew chapter 13 and uh, verse 22. Here it says, Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. He enjoys it too. And the cares of this world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. It's receptive to the word of God. It enjoys listening to sermons. It re enjoys reading the Bible and so on and so forth. And it's counted the cost. And it says, I'm willing to sacrifice for you, Jesus. But as time goes on, things creep up into our lives. And the cares of our lives and the deceitfulness of riches, what it does is it hooks you and it starts reeling you in. It starts reeling you in. Let's talk about the cares of our lives first. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at a few more passages and we'll wrap up. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 28. We'll start from verse 30 due to time. Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. It says here, Matthew 13, 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Matthew 13, 31. Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. We all want to be happy. But the degree of, of God's desire for making you happy is far greater than how much you want to be happy yourself. 
And as human beings, we, we, we set out a plan. If I do this in my life and go this route, I'm going to be happy. And because of our limited, limited and our short-sightedness, we're not able to really see what comes along the way. But God, as he's seeing up in heaven and knows every scenario of my life and every possibility of my life, knows exactly the best path for me, the best route for me, and the one who created my heart knows what can make me truly fulfilled and happy and joyful. And that God says, don't worry about what you wear, what you eat, whether you'll have a home or not, Gentiles seek after those things. And Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And He says, All these things will be added to you. Amen. He says, If you really want all those things, instead of striving after those things, seek God first, and he's going to do the rest for you. You know, as a pastor, I was making a lot of money. Amen. And um, I really had to, last year, uh, as, as I shared with you earlier, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a pastor anymore. Um, I'm back in school, and uh, my, my income is very, very meager right now. And, and it's okay. My wife and I are looking at our bank account, and I just, not that I don't fall, I don't worry at all. Worries do come up. If you've ever gardened before, it's not that you just, 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 uh, what do you call it? You, uh, you pick up the weeds, right? I'm sorry, I, but, but anyway, yeah, you pick up the weeds, right? You pull out, I'm sorry. Okay, you pull out the weeds. Next day you go, the, 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 the following week you go out, there's no weeds, right? Yes or no? More weeds. More weeds. The thing about the cares of our lives and the deceitful of, the, of, 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 of riches is not that you just pull it out once and it's done. It's that you constantly have to be giving it over to God. Cares of this life creep into your, into your life. Worries creep into your life. You want to be rich and so on and so forth. The deceitfulness of riches start creeping into your life. And what you have to constantly be doing is, God, take this away from me. I want to seek your kingdom first and I want to seek your righteousness first. And that's what reading is. That's what reading is. And as we do that, God says, if you're giving your worries up to me, I'll take care of what you're worrying about. 1 Timothy 6 says, If you have food to eat and if you have things to wear, be content. You've got enough. I don't see anyone here sitting naked. And probably there's no one here that has starved for lack of resources. God says you can be content. Let's actually look at that passage. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I think that's so important. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. Matthew chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 9. It says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. The Bible doesn't forbid us from being rich, but it says it's very, 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 very dangerous. But we as, as Korean Christian parents, We are more focused on our children being rich than having them in the kingdom of God. That breaks my heart. Those riches, it's 
it's this hook that, 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 that Satan throws at us and says, this is the best thing. You can have everything you want and it's, it throws, he throws it at us. And when we bite into it, Satan just reels you in slowly and slowly. And God's looking at us. Just why? Why are you so focused on having your children being rich? It's dangerous. They're going to be okay if they're seeking the kingdom of God first and having his righteousness first in their lives. They're going to be okay. I know some of you want to be doctors. Some of you are doctors and lawyers and so on and so forth. But if you're wanting to be a doctor for the riches, please reconsider. I'm very serious. Riches are dangerous according to God who is the truth. Who knows from the beginning and then he says, there's so many people who have fallen into destruction because of the desire to be rich. He goes on the next verse. What does the next verse say? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is, a, is the root of all evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrow. He's saying that the desire of riches is doing this with the knife. It's piercing yourself. God says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek my righteousness. Seek my kingdom. And guess what? You're going to be rich forever and ever. You're going to be joyful forever and ever. I'll give you enough. It's not like I'm a poor dad. God's this rich dad that has everything that you need and can fulfill your heart. And He says, that's not me. Would you put me first in your life? So what is the good soil? And we'll wrap up with this. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. But before we get to, get to the good soil, let's just, let me just, just, just say one more thing about the thorny soil. God says, put His kingdom and His righteousness first. And again, God is not saying, do something that I didn't done, done for you, haven't done for you. Guess what? I've put you before me. I've put your needs before my needs when I was here on earth. Not for my joy, for your joy. But he's saying, if you give up your needs for myself, you're not giving up joy. You're going to have so much more joy. I've done this before you. Follow me. It's like this, this, this parent that's, that's going on a dangerous road. It's like going through a minefield. And the parent, Jesus has gone through it. He's, he's taking all the pain before you so that you don't just go through it. He removes the danger and says, follow me. And all these bombs are blowing around him. He's being hurt through and through. And he says, follow me. God is from Matthew chapter 13. <laughs> In verse 23, he, but he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is the part that pays attention to the word of God. It listens attentively. It receives it with joy and it counts the cost. It's willing to make the sacrifice. And when the cares of life and the deception of riches creep into their lives, they're willing to pull it out. They're willing to weed it out of their lives. But importantly, but more importantly, this is what they do. Later in the chapter, there are seven parables in this chapter. And we'll go to verse 45. Matthew 13, verse 45, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found 
one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and he bought it. This is the good soil. It's the good soil that was willing to forsake all. That was willing to sell everything that he had. Was willing to put God first in his life. But this is not just a parable of what we should be doing for, for Jesus. This is a parable of what Jesus did for us. Amen. Amen. He was searching for a pearl of great price. And he found it in us, strangely enough. And he goes to the Father and says, Father, I give up everything. I found this great pearl of great price. It's amazing. You should see it, Father. The Father says, yeah, it's worth it. Let's do this. so much that we love the Lord. And I'm not here to judge anyone. I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at my own character and how, how lacking I am. And it's not that, that I don't have faith that, that Jesus can transform me. It's just that, that we have so, our, our lack of faith in the Word of God is so, so rampant in our lives, so rampant in our churches. The love for the world is so rampant in our churches. I really want that to, I really want to see that change. And I believe that Jesus can change us. Jesus invites you and me. Follow me. Let's pray.